Hey, good evening, everybody. I'm here with my great friend, Rich Weber. We never realized we had something in common. We'd both lost a parent at a young age. And, you know, that neither of us have talked about it a lot, that I've done a couple of these podcasts, so it's a little more front of mind for me. So I was talking to Rich about it. And I could see the wheels turning and, you know, he's thinking about things. So we just thought we'd have a drink together, talk about it. And it's all from the for what it's worth department. So with that, Rich, why don't you just kind of give the circumstances on uh, really your your tragic story that uh, with a great ending. So I'll give us your story. Well, I'll I'll tell you, you, you know, Bob. My mother and father, they met in Detroit in the early 60s, probably in 19, I think they probably started dating in 1960. My dad was a, uh, a young law student at Wayne State University, and my mother was at the University of Detroit, and uh, she was a uh, twin, she had twin sister, an identical twin sister, and, you know, and her brother was the star football player. He ended up playing in the NFL for 11 years, which oh, is cool. No. You know, so you can imagine the Maher family, this Irish family in uh, in Detroit, they were kind of the family. The people knew who they were. My mother and her sister were models. They did some serious modeling around the country. You know, if you look at back at the old ivory soap commercials, they were kind of the ivory soap girls, if you will. Oh. So they had some national modeling contracts. So they were very beautiful. You know, the, their brother was the star football player. Everybody knew the Maher family in Detroit. My dad was in law school. My grandfather was a press secretary to uh, Governor G. Men and Williams, you know, in Michigan, old line family. And so somehow they met. I don't even know how they met exactly, but they started dating and, and it was a whirlwind marriage and or a whirlwind romance. And they, they got married. And my sister and I, because I am a twin, were born in August of 1963. And, you know, I've seen pictures. I don't have a lot of history about what was going on at the time. I know that we lived in a small apartment in uh, somewhere on the, you know, near Six Mile in Woodward in Detroit. (laughs) And shortly afterwards, my brother Craig was born. My brother Craig is 18 months younger than me. And from all I can tell from all these pictures, it was a wonderful existence. My dad was from a great family. She was from a great family. And my dad tells the story that it was uh, about six months after Craig was born, so I was about two years old, that she and my uh, aunt were invited to go out and shoot another commercial for Ivory Soap out in Los Angeles. And uh, they went out, and she brought my dad. And it was sort of a little vacation thing. And as after, I guess, the commercial was shot, they went to Tijuana. And that, I guess, in the day was a great place to go. And uh, somehow she got food poisoning. And to make a long story short, I think her immune system was compromised somewhat. Not sure exactly why. I know she, she was taking some pills for her kidneys. But when they got back to Detroit, she developed a severe case of hepatitis. Uh-huh. And, um, and it was very quick. My dad told me that she woke up one day and she was not feeling well and her eyes were yellow. He took her into the hospital and she died within 24 hours. Wow. And, you know, it was a devastating event. It was completely unforeseen. A beautiful young woman, I believe, 
when she died, she was only 24 years old, maybe 25 years old. And it was you know, just devastating. My dad had started um, at a law firm in Detroit, great law firm. And uh, he was working hard. And all of a sudden, his wife died. He had three little kids. I think my dad at the time uh, was maybe 27 years old, something like that. And um, it was a really difficult situation. Um, and, you know, again, I, uh, I only know what people tell me <laughs> uh, yeah. because I cannot remember any of this, at least at this time. And I do know that initially we moved in with my uh, grandparents on my dad's side and it quickly deteriorated. My grandmother had a nervous breakdown. She, uh, you know, when you have three little kids and her, her son, who was just devastated, it was just too much for her. And she literally had a nervous breakdown. She was hospitalized over it. And, um, and from that, we had to be split up. And we went to live with different family members until my dad was able to recover. And I went to live with uh, my uncle Bruce, Bruce Maher, who just recently died. He was the football player. He was playing with the Lions at the time. Mm. And I went to live with him. And, you know, I can't even tell you exactly how long I lived there, but I'm thinking like six, nine months, that kind of a thing. And you're how old at the time? At this time, at this time, I am probably around three years old. Wow. Three years old. And I don't really remember a lot of it, honestly. I do remember bits and snips of it. And what really happened is maybe for a year, year and a half, you know, it was really about my father trying to recover from this tragedy, getting his life together, overcoming his grief, which was profound, and and really garnering the strength to really take our, us kids back. You know what I mean? Yeah. It brings yeah. back family. You know, I mean, I don't think I've ever even told Mary this, but I do know that my grandparents on my mother's side were very concerned about it and thought we should be given up for adoption. Oh my gosh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always appreciated it that my dad even though, you know, he, it took a while for him to get his act together. I'm going to say about a year yeah. uh, before we were able to come back together as a family. You know, he didn't give up on us, which I appreciated. And I know that caused a real rift with uh, my grandparents on my mother's side. Never really healed, to be honest with you. It was, it was uh, you know, I, I can't, it was very difficult to talk to my dad about this even today. Mm-hmm. Very sad times. And but we came back together as a family and we started going through a series of what we called nannies. We, you know, my dad, we moved back into this house, Litchfield, <laughs> Litchfield, which is right near eight mile in Detroit, which at the time was a good neighborhood. This was pre pre riots. Yeah. Pre riots. And we had a series of nannies that would uh, take care of us. And now this is starting to get into a period of time that I actually remember. Yes. And I do remember, I remember Bertha. We had one, one nanny was named Bertha. She was a good, you know, probably 300 pound African-American woman. And we were, as you can might imagine, we were a little out of control. We had absolutely no boundaries. And I remember Bertha only lasted, you know, a few months if that. And then we went through this whole series. (laughs) Oh boy series of nannies trying to would try to take care of us as my dad would go to work and you know he's this young lawyer in town and it was tough i we did this for a couple of years and mm-hmm. uh, i couldn't even tell you how many nannies went through six or seven i'm guessing wow wow 
And it was very difficult for, uh, it was difficult for these ladies to take care of us, to be honest with you. And you can imagine who's going to run, who's going to come into a house, clean the house and take care of three little kids that have had very little coaching. up until yeah. That. yeah. And uh, what well, well, would I, you say that your brother and your sister, were you almost sort of a team where you guys, <laughs> yeah, we were a team. We yeah. were a team. So close. And I'm still close to him in the deepest emotional way to yeah. my sister, my brother. Yeah. In the deepest emotional way. Very much a team. Uh-huh. And we took care of each other, too. Yeah. To this day, we do. To this day. Yeah. And very, very close. And we, we adored my father. Adored him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I remember instances where he would come home and we would just mob him you know we yep. just loved my dad and and we looked up to him and everything we look, he could do no wrong he tells me a story that you know as we went through these series of nannies that he finally just said this is just getting out of you know i gotta get somebody to stick right so he had a brother <laughs> jack who at the time jack was living in uh marquette michigan way in the uk and he called Jack. And he's like, Jack, this is terrible. I can't get any of these ladies to stay. You know, I have no continuity. What am I going to do? So he goes, well, why don't I look around up here in the UP? You know, <laughs> tough, tough Finnish ladies, you know. And they found this woman. Her name was Leela. And she was literally from Finland off the boat. And had some family, but for some odd reason, she took the bus from Marquette, Michigan, all the way down to Detroit to come live with us. And she was a very meaningful person in our lives because she stuck. She was tough as nails, tough as nails. Didn't put up with any of our little shit. And, um, you know, corporal punishment was (laughs) fully in bounds. Okay. And she was a wonderful woman, but she was uh, very ignorant to modern ways of, of the world. I know that, you know, my dad tells a funny story that with my brother, Craig, who was being body trained by Leela, that Leela, the way she did it, she just put him on the toilet and said, you can't get off until you go. (laughs) So he he literally was on all day. (laughs) (laughs) My dad actually went to a, uh, he went to a a child psychologist over that one. Thought that it would be. (laughs) (laughs) And if we talked to my brother, he'd probably say it did do damage. <laughs> you know, she thought that people on the TV could see you. I know that, you know, mm-hmm. we guys were watching, you know, back then, maybe leave it to Beaver or something. She thought that yeah. they could see. So it was, it was crazy, but she was a loving, wonderful person. And she stuck with us and she lasted probably until I was maybe six or seven mm-hmm. years, old. six or seven years old. And, you know, it's some crazy, funny stories that I won't, I won't bore you with, but tragically, uh, she died in our home. My dad had gone to work. I remember this Leela asking my sister, Stephanie, to get her a glass of orange juice. She wasn't feeling well. Stephanie dutifully did. She took the glass of orange juice and laid down on the, uh, on the couch. And when my dad returned from work, you know, she was dead. <laughs> oh my gosh. What, what else could go wrong for your dad? I know. I know he is. Uh, yeah. He, it's a bittersweet with him because he really did love Leela. Leela really did hang in there for us. But uh, mm-hmm. when she died, 
it was a disaster. You know, he's like, oh my God. I mean, yeah. this, how does it, you know, can, what, what could happen what, next? Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, to, you know, the, to, to connect to the modern world or the modern life, I'll just say there was another woman that stepped into this time and her name was Algona Peterson. Mm. And she was my dad's aunt. Mm. And we couldn't really pronounce her name, Algona. <laughs> we called her Gaga. We called her Gaga. And she was a tough woman. She, like Leela, didn't put up with any shit. And, <laughs> you know, she really kept a very tight home. And she, she really was a disciplinarian. But she was a loving person, very loving person. And she really stabilized our whole family. Mm. And at that time, you know, kind of a coincident with all that, my dad was dating this woman, Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen Kotcher from Gross Point, Michigan. Her dad was the, the Cadillac dealer in Gross Point. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is a good thing, right? Yeah, good thing in Michigan, yeah. That's right. And make a long story short, they fell in love, and um, they were married when we were, uh, I think we were seven years old when they got married. Mm. And I remember the wedding, and it was a beautiful thing. We loved her. We called her Mary Ollie. We couldn't pronounce her name, but we called her Mary Ollie. And at that moment, she became our mother. I, mm-hmm. To this day, I call her mom. Mm-hmm. And Goggin continued to live with us. Mm. <laughs> wow. Package she deal she got. Uh, pardon me? She got a package deal between all the kids and, and oh, yeah. her aunt. And Goggin lived with us. Goggin, you know, Goggin was uh, old. I mean, I, I remember she was born in 1900. I, I always liked that because I could, I always knew how old she was. <laughs> yeah. And she lived in our home. She had her own house, but she lived with us most of the time. Hmm. She had a room, the whole thing, a little yeah. sweet house. And she lived with us until she died. And I'll never forget when she died, 1984. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah. So anyway, uh, so it was, uh, it was a, you know, there were some sad times, definitely. But in a, in a way, you know, we, we hung together as a family. My mom and my dad ended up having two more children, a brother Mike and a, and a sister Katie. They're much younger than me, but yeah. you know, it's, it was, um, you know, it was good. And I, you yeah. know, my dad, my dad hung in there for us, you know, so I'll, yeah. I'll, never, I'll love him for forever for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. let me ask you, that's kind of interesting. I mean, here, the three of you, you know, my gosh, you, you lost your mom. You had a series of nannies. You saw that Leela die. <laughs> you probably thought it was a long nap at that point. Your aunt comes in. I mean, you'd been through a lot and, yeah. you know, Hey, you'd face some adversity then you have your younger brother and sister. Would you say they have personality traits that might be different? I mean, it's oh, almost yeah. an interesting social experiment. Yeah, I think there's definitely a difference. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, Craig, and I have much more of an edge to us than they do. Hmm. I don't know. I, I might not want them to ever see this video, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, or yeah. maybe the word's a bit more grit, right? Because you'd been... We have a lot of grit, mm-hmm. yeah. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's no question. My sister Stephanie is um, was a hellion grown up. Hellion. <laughs> and my brother Craig is just a great guy and solid. You know, we all have graduate degrees. Craig's a lawyer. Stephanie, Stephanie had a huge career. Married a doctor. I mean, they, you know. And if you look at my sister Katie and my brother Mike, listen, I don't understand exactly why, but they definitely don't have that same. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just interesting. You wouldn't necessarily, I mean, hey, hopefully we live to be 90 years old, that six years is, you know, less than, you know, right. 8% of your life, something like that. But it's amazing what an effect that that really had, that it, it in lasting effect. Very much. Well, I will say this, you know, it's funny, you know, I didn't know my mother. I knew my mother, but I don't remember my mother. Yeah. There's been a void my whole life, a void my whole life. And it's interesting. And I've talked to my sister, Stephanie, and my brother, Craig, about this, that each of us had to come to terms with it in our own way. Yeah. But years later, years later, I'm talking about 30 years later. Mm. And, you know, one thing about a mother is a mother as an embrace of their child, like nothing else. Okay. There's nothing that can substitute for that embrace of a child. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had the greatest stepmom of all time. Mm-hmm. She's unbelievable, but you know what? It wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I could recognize it and I could feel it and I could see the differences between, um, and to this day, I can see the differences. It's not conscious on her part, and she is a wonderful woman. And and I don't, I don't hold anything against her. I'm just saying there was a void. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you want to pretend there isn't a void. But I think what happens over time is you have to come to terms with it. Yeah. Yeah. It just and it, it's called acceptance. That you know, I was screwed over as a young child, definitely. And there were some sad consequences from that. Yeah. And it's just something to accept. You accept it mm-hmm. and you accept the consequences and then you can move on. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to, to say, well, you know, boy, I, I maybe should have had this or I should have had that. Yeah. But I, I think in a way you've got to let all that go. And for yeah. me, that happened in the, in my mid twenties. Hmm. And the same thing with my sister, with my brother, Craig, it was more in his mid thirties. I just think that when a child loses a parent like that, it takes years to come to that acceptance. Yeah. And I would think that that's something that, you know, like, let's say, let's say somebody might be listening to this and um, it's not something you can rush. It's yeah. something a person has to come to accept within them. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I do. As a kid, you can kind of put it away. You can compartmentalize and put it away a little bit, but it never really goes away. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. If that, that's yeah, good. you know, I lost my dad at eight, and I can remember, you know, just a tough year and, you know, just really missing him. Then sort of kind of coming to terms with it. And then eventually transferring, you know, kind of some of that sadness into in grief into strength, you know, just right. I always felt like I had just sort of an extra coach or an extra kind of guiding light, you know, and whether that was walking into a job interview or, you know, going on a big pitch or Hey, I got a, an engagement ring in my pocket and uh, I got to get up the nerve to ask Joni to marry me. You know, that 
those sort of things. I always felt like I had somebody with me and, you know, I had a great stepfather, wonderful guy, lots of fun, great advice, you know, just a greatest generation type of guy. But, you know, he never tried to be my father. He, he was always there as a stepfather. And in a way, I almost felt lucky that I had sort of what was within me, you know, from my dad. Then I had sort of this advisor kind of friend in my stepfather. I felt like it made me more complete almost. Would that apply? I think so. I do think that. I can tell you this, that I know that with the three of us, we had a uh, tolerance for pain, if that's the right way to say it, or tolerance for, you know, a greater determination, a greater resilience. Mm -hmm. I believe that because when you experience like some of these tragedies at such a young age, it it creates a a toughness within you that you just didn't know you have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I can look back on my life and I can, I can see it in myself. I can see it in my sister, Stephanie, and I can see it in my brother, Craig, for sure. Mm. We also, and so I can't remember my mother in terms of the way you can remember your father in terms of this person that was always with you. Cause I just can't remember her, which is yeah. sad. Yeah. But I will tell you this, all three of us had this tremendous drive to please our father and mm. to make him proud. And, uh, in a way it was, it was good for me because I, I was very driven as a young man. And, um, and, um, and I know my sister and brother felt, felt mm-hmm. the same way, but sometimes it was even a little unhealthy mm-hmm. because, you know, trying to make somebody else proud sometimes can lead. It's not always a healthy thing. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. you think you've got to, um, I think you've got to really be your own person and yeah. constantly be looking for the affirmation of your father. I, I don't think is good long-term. And I probably hung on to that too long. And I think it's a little bit of the back in the day when it wasn't even certain we were going to be together as a family. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And uh, part of that acceptance I was talking about is accepting that the mother, my mother died, accepting that maybe I didn't get some of those things that other people might've had from a mother. Yeah. Uh, And that, that relationship with my father was again, a, it was something that drove me, but in some ways, I think um, I had to let it go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Life, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, a lot of lives, it's just a delicate balance, right, between motivation and just getting too, too wrapped up in it, you know? Yeah, I hear you. Well, I think, I think when you're trying to make somebody else proud, yeah. I, it's fair to that other person. Yeah. And I think that you're never satisfied with yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that can be a real motivator and a real driver, but also, you know, for it to be satisfied and and find peace in yourself. Yeah. I I don't think that's always healthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one of the things I'm talking about that that eventually I had to, I did just accept that my mother died and I missed out on some things, but I just accept it. And I'm grateful that I had a new mother that came into my life that loved me and, uh, and others as well. And, uh, just be grateful for that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It took, it took me a while to get there, Bob. I bet. I bet. Have, you know, you got three great daughters. You have a wonderful wife. Has that, I mean, Hey, raising kids is so instinctual, you know, that it, uh, 
But if you ever thought it in the context that you grew up in an unusual way and, you know, what the family life that you've set for your family is? Yeah, I do think that. And um, I will tell you that my mother or my wife, Mary, is just an incredible mother, an incredible mother. And she's so on it. Uh, she knows, she just knows what to do. She's nurturing and, and affectionate, but at the same time, she's pushing these kids to be the best they can be. You know, I will tell you that I needed to see that happening. Yeah. When I saw it happening, I had to recognize how wonderful it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And let it happen. If mm-hmm. okay. I grew up in more of a family that was a little bit more of a disciplinary family, you know, here yeah. the room. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a little bit of the 60s, too. Maybe. Yeah. But I just feel uh, that that I, you know, I can tell you with my own girls, I, they, they have had such a wonderful relationship with their mother. And I love that for them. Love it for them. And, and recognize I probably didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, and yeah. Uh, but I love it for them. And I can also see how um, that unconditional love and that support that Mary provides our kids has allowed them to take risks in life mm-hmm. and allowed them to grow beyond my imagination for them. They've just done incredible. And um, there are all three wonderful people and strong women with their own minds. And I, I give a lot of credit to Mary, honestly. Yeah. She yeah. was a fantastic mother. Yeah. And part of me had to just say, let me stand back and watch and learn <laughs> from her to be a great yeah. parent. Yep. She is an awesome parent. Yep. yep. Awesome. And I, I think I'm a much better parent now than I was early. Uh-huh. Because I learned from her how to love, yeah. how to love kids, you know? Yep. Yep. Well, hey, there's no playbook for it that it uh so it does help. So Webb, if you met a dad who'd lost his wife who had three kids and been through their fourth nanny, what would you say? to that dad, and what would you say to those kids? You know, I mean, the kids that, you know, they were at five, it might be tough, but let's just say they were 12 or something like that. Well, the first thing I'd say to this dad is, hey, it's going to be tough. I mean, raising kids by yourself and working is going to be tough, but kids are really resilient. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So don't try to be perfect. Oh, that's great. I like that. Mm-hmm. Don't be yeah. perfect. Yeah. Kids are super resilient. I mean, we went through some, un- I, I didn't even bore you with some of the stories, but we went through some just um, amazing experiences. But, you know, we did okay. Yeah. I think kids are super resilient. Don't try to be perfect. Be yourself. Be a loving dad. And give yourself grace to make a mistake. It's okay. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. And, but I, the same thing I would say is don't ever give up on those kids. Don't ever give up on them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Don't ever give up. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I just love about my dad is he never gave up on us. He, he hung in there even when it was hard for him at, at first and he, he hung in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the kids, I, I would say, Hey, look, you know, it's going to be hard for you to realize this, but you have a big loss. It, you, you've had a loss. It's nothing in this world is going to bring your mother back or your father back. And you're allowed to grieve. You're allowed to grieve for that. Yeah. And um, I would say it's also okay 
to think you got screwed because you did. Mm-hmm. You did get screwed. But you have to live your life and you have to become your own person. And if you were lucky enough to know your parent, you know, take all of that with you and make it be part of you. Just as you say, you know, you got this, you know, what a great thing to remember from your father. Mm -hmm. It helped you out throughout your whole life. And I think you take that parent with you, but on the the other hand, open your heart to what's going to come to you in the, in the days ahead, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's going to be a, a good friend, whether it's going to be a stepmother or a stepfather, open your heart, help your brothers and sisters to also do the same and to not necessarily forego grieving, but on the other hand, start living. And I think that's what I would, I would say to any person. Really great. Let me ask you just one other thing that, you know, talking about, you know, that you really aspired to do great things and Hey, you've been CEO of two companies. That's, I had a great career as an investment banker But, you know, if somebody said, ask me about you, you know, I'd say first and foremost, you're fun. (laughs) Love hanging with you. But then, you know, they ask, well, what's, you know, work like that sort of thing? I'd say, well, he's a grinder. You know, he just puts his head down and work. And, you know, part of that, you mentioned that uh, some of that was, you know, for your dad, that sort of thing. You know, talk about that balance a little bit in terms of, of, uh, you know, using your dad as inspiration and aspiration, but at the same time, not getting too caught up that and being a great family guy. Well, I, I think that early on, my balance was way off because, mm-hmm. I, you know, I had in my own imagination what my dad thought was somebody that to look up to or to be proud of. Yeah. I didn't own mine. My dad never told me, these are the attributes I need to see from you before I'm going to be proud of you. He never said that. Sure. But I had this in my own mind that, you know, I had to, uh, I had to be an achiever. I had to be somebody who, um, you know, achieved financial success, but also a respect in the community, you know, all these things, which aren't by themselves bad, but I'll be honest with you, Bob, in my early years, I really, put a lot of emphasis on that. In yep. other words, it's a lot more important to me yep. than being a good dad and even a good husband. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we first met, I mean, I would regularly work 12 hour days and there was nothing I wouldn't do for work. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it was the expense of my family. Yeah. And I'll be honest, uh, you know, and, and I remember whenever I would achieve a certain level of success, I would tell my dad and I would tell him with the hopes that he would, you know, give me the, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I've never, I'm so proud of you, son. I mean, you know, I would say, I would look for that and I'll be honest with you. I didn't always get that mm-hmm. and it just made me go back harder. And it wasn't fair to my dad to be doing that, okay? Yeah. It wasn't fair to him. And uh, I just, you know, it was probably when I was in my early 40s, Bob, that I had achieved a lot of success. And I started to realize, like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. You know? And I've sacrificed so much to get that. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about my own time and grinding. I'm talking about, you know, 
what kind of father have I been? What yeah. kind of husband have I been? Yeah. And um, I started to really reevaluate, you know, who I was. Yeah. And what I'm here. And what I realized is I really wasn't here to make my dad proud. Yes, I want my dad to be proud, but that's not why I'm on this earth. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. And so I, I started to really examine deep into my own heart, like, well, what am I doing? Mm. And why am I here? And I grew up Catholic, and you know, I was always a dutiful Catholic and went to church when I was supposed to and all that. But you know, I didn't really have any faith. I started to really develop a much deeper personal faith, Christian faith, in my 40s. Mm-hmm. It really helped me center myself around a purpose. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, I, I don't want this to make this some evangelical show or anything, yeah. but I really felt like having a, a, a true relationship with my God and understanding that I'm on this earth to love him. And I started to develop this personal relationship and it started to give me this peace that I never had. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think in a way, you know, our heavenly father is that perfect parent, the perfect parent. Yeah. And I started to realize that no matter what I did or achieved really didn't matter to him. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Had a way of humbling you. Yeah. And honestly, Bob, it, it helped me uh, get a peace within myself uh-huh. that helped me move on from this cycle of constantly trying to uh, prove to my dad that I was worthy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say that I just, you know, fell off a cliff from a career standpoint. It wasn't that, but my whole person shifted. Mm -hmm. And it's been a great thing for me. I'm much happier. I'm much more at peace with myself. I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. Yeah. Yeah. Quite frankly, I'm a better friend. Yeah, that's a great story. And, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, because both of us have been through, you know, we've had a vacuum in our life. Yeah. And, you know, what do you fill that vacuum with? You know, that can be a dangerous thing because you might get obsessed about work or you might get obsessed about drinking. You know, you can get obsessed about a lot of bad things. But I also think it allows sort of for a third party to come into your life And, you know, whether it's religion or just some aspirational thing that's out there that you you answer to, I I think it can be a pretty powerful source and it can help, you know, that five-year-old in its own subconscious way. And, you know, isn't it amazing? You were three, basically, right? I was eight. And, uh, you know, you do some math on that. That was 55 years ago, 54 years ago for me, that it's still uh, close to that for you, that it still plays such a role. It just shows you what a powerful thing that vacuum can be and how effective it can be when you fill it the right way. And I think that's a real hope out there for people. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it provides a mental toughness for kids that have to overcome that. And, but I do think, you know, you're exactly right. There is a void that's created. And the question is, and that void will be filled. The question, what's going to fill it. Very good. Yep. And it's probably good to be conscious of it, that Mm -hmm. there's going to be a void Mm -hmm. and um, be aware of it and, and make sure that you're uh, being constructive in in the ways that you fill that void. You know, 
when you say that, I, you know, I got to believe some people resort to alcohol and other, other kinds of destructive behaviors and drugs and everything, because there's an emptiness in your heart. You know that. And, um, you know, how you fill that can make a huge difference in your life. Yeah. Yeah. But the the nice thing though, is it's not like you can't change, you know? Yeah. That's Uh, right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Well, I'll tell you what, I think you've really provided some great, I mean, it's an incredible story and you've been through a lot. You've turned it into positives that, you know, here, even, you know, as you see, you keep improving in your forties, in your fifties, in your sixties, you know, as it all, it all comes down the pike that, you know, may we never stop improving. And, you know, Hey, we have a great friend who had a, he did stop improving and, you know, had a really difficult time that it, uh, so I think you got a lot to be proud of Webb. that you've done it in a humble way and a questioning way, and you've been smart about it. So I think all this can really be helpful. Well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. And I admire you for pursuing this. You know, I do think this is helpful for families that go through this. And unfortunately it's just part of our life. Yeah. And there's a lot of us out there that have faced this kind of tragedy as young, young kids and I think I think hearing some of the experiences of people and how it's affected them and how they've grown from it is such no. a positive thing. And I admire you for no. taking it on. It's not an easy topic. No one likes yeah. talking about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, great. All right, Webb. Well.